0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. We are excited to uh, to jump into Genesis chapter forty four today. We've been walking through the book of Genesis for the entire year. Uh, we are now in month eleven. Uh, of walking through uh, the beginning. And um, so we are approaching uh, the last uh, six weeks uh, of of our time together. It will work out almost perfectly. We'll end our Bible studies for the year. We'll take a a two-week break at the end of the year, and then we will come back in January. And uh, plans are now, barring something uh, unforeseen, the Lord himself could say, that's not what I want you to do. Uh, but plans are now to uh, to start our study uh, on the end, the revelation. So we we've studied the beginning uh, and then uh, we've done some stuff uh, in here that would be the middle. Uh, and then uh, the revelation will take us to the end. So that's kind of our plan for 2023. Uh, barring some adjustment on God's part, which, of course, I will adhere to. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about some things that are going on, and I'll be brief with this. Um, the This Bible study is also brought to you by themanchurch.com. Uh, this is a hub for men's ministry. This is where uh, a complete uh, men's discipleship strategy uh, can be found. Uh, the motivation for this was all the surveys that we've been hearing, or I've been hearing my whole life going to church, and the message that I hear most every Father's Day, and that is that God made men and women equal, but he did not make them the same, and there is an influence uh, and a headship that God uh, gave the man uh, that cannot be replaced or duplicated uh, in any other way. Uh, So we thought if that is the case, uh, reaching and discipling men uh, should be of the highest priority because of the influence, because men are either a blessing— and an asset to their, their family, to the church or society, or they are a detriment and an obstacle. There is no in-between. And if uh, if men are under the authority of Christ, it just seems logical that you have solved a lot of the problems. And if they're not, uh, it, it's going to create a lot of problems, and I think we've seen the evidence of that everywhere, uh, and, and we've, we know this over and over. So we actually have made that priority, but we've also uh, provided the tools uh, to reach and to equip or disciple uh, the men of your church, uh, men in their homes, and men in society. So the part of this is something called Man Churches. Uh, we certainly have curriculum. We'll have our fourth one coming out in 2023. We have three of them now, uh, but we that's that's the equipping and the discipleship part. Uh, we also have individual resources for men. We have a new individual resource that we are really excited about coming, coming up here in probably three weeks it'll be released, and I can't wait to tell you about that. Uh, but uh, also, these man churches are services where men gather together for the high challenge. Uh, we send out our teachers and speakers for that as well. And here's some of them if you'd like to find a man church near you. If you go to the manchurch.com and click, click on events, the next thing it'll say is, find a man church near you. Uh, click on that. Uh, like, let's say you're up in uh fanger tennessee f-i-n-g-e-r tennessee and and uh, you know where old friendship baptist church is well this saturday pastor tim ashley part of our team uh will be there doing a man church uh let's say that you're in dothan alabama or you're near there well sunday night this week november the 13th their next man church brian gunn uh, of our team he'll be teaching there and challenging you uh if you're in jasper alabama uh, coming up on November the 17th, uh, their next Man Church, Andrew Varvudis from our team, will be there. Uh, coming up on November the 19th in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, uh, Scott Dawson will be at Sand Spring Baptist Church doing their next Man Church. So there's there's November, and you can find any and all of them uh, by going to themanchurch.com and clicking on events, as I said. And also coming up for the first time ever, and 2023, Oxford, Alabama, the Performing Arts Center, the first ever Man Church Conference. We're extremely excited about this. We'll take um, you know a portion of our teachers. Uh, they'll be uh, each doing a session. I'll be doing two sessions. Andy Blanks will do a session from our team. Rich Wingo will do a session from our team. Uh, we also have a special guest, Recap Gray, a young pastor from Orlando, Florida. He'll be there. Chuck Hooten. Uh, we'll be doing the praise and worship. He's fantastic, uh, and then we also offer if you're in leadership in men's ministry at your church or in your community, we you're going to get a prompt. Uh, after you order your tickets, and, and it won't come immediately, but you'll eventually get a prompt that will ask if you want to come to our breakfast on Saturday morning. At the breakfast, I'll be there. Uh, Michael Helms will be there. Uh, Andy Blanks will be there. Uh, our team will be there. And we'll be doing a Q&A answering any questions you might have while you also fellowship with others in leadership that are doing the men's discipleship strategy. Or maybe you want to know more about it. Uh, so that opportunity is afforded to you as well. And with every ticket, we also get you uh, some a uh, huge discount for you to take your men to have a little fellowship time on the way out of Oxford, Alabama at Big Time Entertainment. And it, it is a men's um, – Playground, there's uh, there's the high-powered go-karts that are there. You've got putt-putt. You've got bowling. You've got all kinds of stuff that you can do together as men and have a great time of fellowship as well. So if you don't have your tickets yet, uh, they are reserved. And listen to me now, when this year ends, once Christmas is here, the ticket price is going up. These are early bird specials that are available to you now, so go ahead and get those and be done with it. They're also reserved. If you need 10 or less, you can just order them online. If you need more than 10, call the box office, and you'll find all that information at themanchurch.com. And we are super excited, and we'll also be launching our new curriculum and any new resources we have uh, at that conference as well. All right, let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into Genesis chapter 44. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for today. Thank you for life. Thank you for allowing us to take our next breath. Uh, and Lord, thank you for your holy and inspired word that we are about to unpack. May it refine us. May it challenge us. May it encourage us. May it sanctify us as we walk through uh, these incredible events uh, in world history. In your name we pray. Amen. So in chapter 44, and this is, uh, there, boy, this is a beautiful narrative coming up. Uh, I just love this. In chapter 44 we're now seeing Joseph. He, his brothers have come to him not once but twice now, and Joseph is, is testing them to really see if they have repented, and he's, he's starting to see some signs that maybe they have, but he is now going to give them the ultimate test to see if they have changed, uh, and that is what takes place in Genesis 44. My wife, Sherry, as you know, is just an incredible resource. The, the, the job that she does as uh, my perfect helper, uh, as God intended, there's there's no way I can ever put into words uh, what she has meant to me, the gift she is to me, and her love of God's holy word. And she was uh, the first person to take this, this narrative in, in Genesis 44 and point this out to me uh, she's talked about it in, in speeches that she's given, um, and, uh, and, and this is this point. Remember that Jesus Christ comes from the line of Judah. Um, this, this is the son that now has taken uh, the leadership role in the family after the issues with the three older brothers, Simeon and Levi and Reuben. They, they've kind of lost their place uh, in leadership, and now Judah has become, and you're going to see it in this narrative today, this historical event, He's now taking the leadership role, and you're going to see the evidence for the first time. There's going to be some profound things that 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 my wife Sherry was the first person, uh, and certainly I've I've read other commentaries that confirm what she had already noticed uh, about what happens with Judah in 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 this moment in time, and 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 how it is a foreshadowing uh, to Jesus, and, and it's quite remarkable. And there's going to be some profound things that we're going to learn today, maybe for the first time, or maybe um, you're going to get another rep on this and kind of drive this point home. So let's talk about what's happening right now. So Joseph, uh, as you see in verses 1 and 2, he's going to accuse his his brothers of theft, and he's going to set this up. Uh, it says uh, in verse 1 and 2, then he commanded the steward of his house. So the steward, you're going to notice through the 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 Moses and what, how, what he tells us what happens, you're going to notice he's in on what uh, Joseph is doing. Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of, of of his sack, and put my cup, and we'll talk about the cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain, and he did as Joseph told him. So, so Joseph is going to set up this test, and he is saying, I'm not just picking one of these brothers randomly. I want it to be the youngest brother. That's his full blood brother. Um, and, and I want it to be in Benjamin's sack because I know that Benjamin like me comes from Jacob's preferred wife and the wife that he really loves Rachel. And I, I know my brothers did this to me because they were jealous of me because of my dad's love for me. And I'm going to see if they've learned and they've repented. Are they different men now? Or would they do to Benjamin the same thing they did to me? Will they abandon him? And that's what this test is all about. So, Uh, Now we move into verses 3 through 5. As soon as the morning was light, and this was standard in the culture that they're going to travel and move at first light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. And now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you paid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks? And by this he practiced divination. You have done evil in doing this. So you see, he's telling him exactly what to do. This silver cup was a cup. Now there's no indication, and we'll get into this at all. Joseph was a man of God. He worshipped the one and only living God. He certainly is has moved to a position of authority uh, and is living his life looking like an Egyptian. But in his faith, he's not participating in these evil occult mystic stuff with this goblet, this silver cup. But he, remember, he wants his brothers to think he is an Egyptian. So divination is something that they did. They did practice that. And so uh, he says, so so tell them that's what the cup's used for. And what I want you to tell them is how dare them steal this from me after I've been so good to them. That's going to set up a pretty intense situation. Uh, and, and Joseph knows, I got to do it this way to get the true response from them. So that's the instruction that, that he gives uh, to his steward. Now the reason why we no one, no commentary thinks that Joseph actually practiced divination is we know uh, that, uh, that later we would find in the law of Moses in Leviticus 1926 and Deuteronomy 1810, uh, that divination and this kind of practice, is absolutely forbidden uh, by by God. So also, you'll notice that this cup seems to be the only thing that Joseph is making an accusation about. Meaning, the rest of it was a gift from him: the food, the silver. He didn't have any problem with that. That's just a gift uh, from him to his brothers. The only thing he's going to accuse of being stolen is this cup, and it has to be. It has to pretend that this cup is a big deal. To uh, to this man of power, uh, who is they think an Egyptian, and this is just to drive home that presentation. So six through nine, when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words, talking about the steward. Uh, they said to him, "Why does my lord speak such words as these? What what are you talking about? We, you know, immediately they're like, we haven't. Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouth of our sacks, we brought back to you." from the land of Canaan, remember that? Dad said, return the money, and then let's double it so that there's no issue that you guys stole money. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants, and boy, here's where it's starting to elevate, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we shall also be my Lord's servants. Now, we don't know which one is saying this, but in a minute, we will see Judah take the lead on the conversation. We can assume it was him. We don't really know, but but we know that the brothers are telling this steward, uh, "Hey, don't think anyone is is guilty of this. That that's not who we are. That this is a an accusation that that I they don't believe is valid." And um, and it's and, and here's the thing too, it, in in verse seven they take kind of a Hebrew oath here. Look at look at verse seven. Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Uh, and they're they're, they're, saying, they're basically saying, look, I, I, I swear to you, we didn't do this. And now I want you to think about this too. They're so certain that they didn't do it. And may, may whoever did it, you know, they shall die. Does anybody remember when Jacob made this same proclamation to Laban when he accused them of stealing his little statues and his little idol. Do you remember this? I mean, Jacob was so certain that nobody in his family had it. He said, I'll tell you what, if anybody's got it, then, then let them die. Of course, God allowed Rachel to find a way out of that that was very creative. Uh, but, but Rachel did have it the whole time. And so once again, you see a similar proclamation from these brothers Saying that there's none of us have this, and if we do, we'll 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 make this Hebrew oath. Whoever's got it, may they die. Uh and now look at verse 10. Verse 10, he said, the steward, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Did you see him change it? That that lets you know that the servant's in on it. Okay, the steward's in on it. He's like, hey, we're not going to kill anybody over this. I mean, this is let, let, let's 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 whoa, let, let's take that down just a minute. If somebody's got it, we'll just take them into slavery. But I mean, let's let's not be talking about we're going to kill somebody right here because he knows what we're going to find it. So so he's he's saying so let's let's uh, let's tap the brakes on that a little bit. But but I will say to you that if we find it, because he's got to set up the scenario that Joseph really wants, if we find it uh then that person becomes a servant. Um and so uh now let's look at the, the rest of it. So eleven through thirteen, then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack and he searched beginning with the eldest, ending with the youngest. Now why would he do that? Here's this birth order again. And like we said last week, if you were here or you you watch the archive or listen to it, um surely somebody at some point has to say, how does this guy know our birth order he he, he keeps he keeps bringing it up and he keeps seeing us this way and uh, I just find it odd that he knows that and uh, he keeps asking about our dad and and our, and if our little brother and and but but they they're not picking up on it but the reason why Joseph wants it done this way is what drama this builds the drama one and, and want, he wants to build this drama all the way to the youngest one because he knows that the youngest one being found guilty of this is the worst case scenario for these brothers okay so so he's he's really building quite the little setup here uh, so he um, the, he starts searching he, he from the beginning with the eldest ending with the youngest and the cup was found as uh, if this is your first time to get this historical event it is found in Benjamin sack because that's where Joseph told the steward to, to hide it. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Everybody knows when that cup is found, we ain't going to Canaan. We're going back to the Egyptians. So here's that birth order mentioned again. The tension builds to Benjamin. Uh, now remember, when the tearing of the clothing, you know, in the Hebrews, when they tore their clothing— this this was this was like something horrible and wicked and evil has happened. Blasphemy. Oh no. And they and they they tear their clothing. And if you remember, Reuben and Jacob both tore their clothing when they found out that Joseph was actually dead. Remember, Reuben was coming back for him. Uh and and Jacob, of course, doesn't know that he is not dead. So but when both Reuben and Jacob got the word that Joseph was gone, do you remember they tore their clothing? You know, this is that same thing because they're like, "Not, please don't let – how can this be happening? So now can you imagine the shock and the grief as they start working their way back to face Joseph? Now, they don't know it's Joseph. They're going back to face an Egyptian that they think, hey, we're, we, we just made some declaration that whoever it was found with would be killed, and now he said that for sure it, it, this, that Benjamin's about to be taken as a slave And this is exactly what we hope would not happen. This is what my dad feared, and now it's happening. Okay? Verses 14 and 15. When Judah—now, see, this is important. You're going to see Judah now take a a lead role here. When Judah—and I would underline that—and his brothers came to Joseph's house. Notice what Moses is doing now. He's not saying when the brothers came. He's now bringing Judah out to the forefront. Do you see this? This is important. When Judah— and his brothers came to Joseph's house he was still there they fell before him to the ground Joseph said to them what deed is this that you have done do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination what he's trying to say is don't lie to me he wants them to think that supernaturally he knows what happened now something a little comedic here to me is the fact that he's claiming that he could figure out what they were doing, but they got his cup that he normally does that with. But uh, but anyway, he he's he's throwing down. He's trying to make them afraid of him, which of course they are. Uh, they're they're doing the best they can do to minimize. They're on the ground before him. Anybody remember Joseph's dreams? How many times are they gonna bow to him now? Uh, and so this this now uh, is 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 Judah has pledged to Jacob to protect Benjamin. And, uh, and, and the brothers, of course, are, are, are all bowing down before Joseph. And, and Joseph says, I'm an expert in divination, but, but he is just testing them. This is all a test, okay? Uh, the, the, and, and, and we've talked about this over and over and over that God Almighty never tempts us, but he does test us. He does refine us. And, and and this is a test to these brothers, and Joseph wants to know, have y'all changed? Same thing God wants to know. Have you repented? Are you going to turn from who you used to be? And uh, and so he's, he's, he's telling them, hey, this could be real bad for y'all. Now look at 16 and 17. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? These three rhetorical questions all kind of come from the same place. What is it? How can I resolve this? How can we justify ourselves? Right? Think, think about all the foreshadowing here. Us standing before an holy God knowing that we're guilty of what we've been accused of. And what do we say to a holy God? How, how can we be justified? That This looks like an impossible situation. What could we possibly do to clear our names? What could we do to get this accusation off of us? And praise God that Jesus says, I'll resolve it. And you're going to see a picture of that here, and it's beautiful what's about to happen. And and it should stir uh, uh, quite a bit of emotion, and I I hope that it will, and we'll learn from this. So he says next, look what he says next. We are my Lord's servant. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and... And he also in whose hand the cup has been found. 17. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup shall be found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Big, 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 big moment here. Okay. Now, how many of us in here are those that are watching and those that are listening? When you hear this from Judah, listen to this. How can we clear ourselves? And this next next line, God has found out the guilt of your servants. Anybody think he's talking about more than the cup? Yeah. God's got us. He, he 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 we we are guilty and this is bigger than the cup and our day of reckoning has come for what we did and then you see what joseph does next is also masterful they want to be punished together and you see judah doing that look all of us are your servants All of us respect your authority. We understand that you can do anything you want to do with this. But I say we all become your servants together. We're all in. We're all guilty. But Joseph says, well, that won't really make the test work. What I want to know is if I give you an out, will you take it? Right? If I give you an out, will you take it? Will you abandon this brother like you abandoned me? So he says, Now that won't work. I'm not punishing you guys. Y'all are innocent, but I'm going to punish Benjamin. The rest of y'all can go. This is the big moment, right? This is the test. So notice the first lines of verse 18, then Judah. Here we go. This, this is... Uh, This is beautiful because this is their chance to bail and leave Benjamin. This next speech that we get uh, throughout the rest of this chapter, verse 18 through 34, is the longest speech in Genesis. Make a note of that. Um, And Judah is now going to show that he is a changed person. We're going to see a reformed Judah. Now, keep in mind, there's a lot going on in Judah's life. Now Judah knows what it's like to actually be a father of children. He know what he knows what it's like to have sons die. And he just recently had twins with Tamar. So he's a daddy himself now, one who's had a loss, but well more than one, and he has current children. So he, he now has a whole new perspective on what happened to Joseph and his part in it. So don't miss that. You're going to see that Judah in this speech, and we're going to walk through all of it. You're going to see Judah in this speech will now mention the word father 15 times. And that's important. And I'll, I'll point you to that. This is the thing that Sherry pointed out the first time she did. I said, that's, that's incredible. That's beautiful. Notice that he's going to use the word father 15 times. Uh, you're also going to see that he's going to call Joseph his Lord seven times. He's also going to refer to himself as a servant and the brothers as servants over and over again. Judah masterfully lets Joseph see the narrative from the standpoint of everybody involved, because that's important too. Hey, you got to look at what all's going on here. And he makes sure that Joseph respectfully sees the entire narrative. I want you to see this from all of our points of view, not just yours. Now, he's not going to say it that boldly. He's smarter than that. But that is what he's going to do. And what he is looking for is sympathy. He's looking for sympathy. Verse 18, Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, respect. Please let your servant, respect, speak a word in my Lord's ear, And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. Really smart. With all due respect, but I don't just say with all due respect. I make it clear I understand what I mean by that. You're my Lord. I'm your servant. You're as powerful as Pharaoh. Whatever you say today stands because you have that authority, and I acknowledge, listen, foreshadowing, listen, unrepented, I acknowledge that you are in charge and I am not. And the only way this can be cleared up is for you, the ultimate authority, to forgive me and forgive us. That's our only way out because it's your call. It's not my call. I can't get myself out of it. You're the one who has the authority, and we need your grace. Does that sound familiar? You see how the whole Bible's about Jesus? The whole Bible. Not just some of it. Okay. And where does Jesus come from out of these brothers and these tribes? From Judah. Okay. So listen to this. Now he starts his his his, his plea uh, in nineteen and twenty. My Lord, ask his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Joseph, do you remember back when you asked us if we had a father and we had a younger brother? respectfully, do you remember what we told you? And he's laying it out for him. He's saying that, you know, he's been diplomatic about it, about their first encounter. Now, what I love about Judah, uh, too, just on a practical side, he's incredibly diplomatic, but you're going to see through this this longest narrative in Genesis, let me tell you what he never brings up. He never brings up that they were accused of being spies. We're not going to recall that. Okay, we're just going to recall you asking about our family. We're not going to bring up the fact that you thought we were spies. We're going to leave that part out. So nothing that could be deemed as arrogant or disrespectful is ever going to be mentioned. And there's not going to be anything that might cause Joseph to see them in a way that would, that he would not show them mercy. You remember you asked us about our family, and we told you. Smart, really, really smart. And uh, also, you know what we see for the very first time here? He talks about his old father. He talks about that one of his father's sons that he loved is dead. Imagine what that was like for Joseph to hear that. And he's basically saying to him, from the wife that he loved, he's only got Benjamin now. Now, the first time that they answer his questions, they don't tell Joseph or a person they perceive to be an Egyptian that their daddy had two wives and he's got children from other women. They don't ever say, they do now. They want him to know now there's a wife that's dead that bore him these two boys, and, 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 and these two boys he loves because that's the woman he loved. They're now Judah, wisely, is now bringing that into the narrative. It, it wasn't brought in the narrative the first time. He, he had left that out. But now he wants to bring that to light because why? That adds to the emotion of the story. Uh, Judah is is very wise here, uh, and but there's more to it than this. It's not just strategy, which is cool. Uh, verses 21 through 22, Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave uh, his father, his father would die. I mean, you you, you didn't really give us an out on this. We did exactly what you told us to do. We told you this broke our daddy's heart. We told you that our daddy didn't want him to come, but we brought him because you told us we didn't have a choice. Once again, what is he leaving out? Of course, you put one of our brothers in jail. He's not bringing that up. There's no talk of Simeon being imprisoned. We don't want to bring up anything that might be negative or make him mad. Okay, He's just saying, you asked us to do it this way. We did it this way. And here's the background you need to know about why I'm sitting here saying, uh, I I just I, I show us mercy. He's he's setting up for the reason why that that Benjamin does not need to be taken into prison. And he he points out that uh, if if Benjamin does not come back, our daddy's going to die. This will kill our daddy. And so he he's trying to appeal and and then of course he says in 23 he says then you said to your servants unless our youngest brother comes down with you you shall not see my face again you said we had to bring him we we didn't want to take this boy away from our dad but you said we had to you see where we're going here? He's trying to you know you 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 you're the one that wounded him here and and now you're talking about putting him in jail, you know? And and so um this is this is a well he's walking a tight line right now, isn't he? So 24 through 26 when we went back to your serve uh, to your servant my father, even he's even calling his father the servant to this man. And we told him the words of my lord, brilliant and when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes, uh, uh, goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is, is with us. So this is just more reminding. Remember, yes, what you said. You told us this is what we did, and that's what we told our dad. Our dad didn't want him to come with us. We told him we didn't have a choice, and so we brought him, 27 through 29. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, one left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to, to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to shale. He's really walking through it, isn't he? What our father said, and keep keeping keeping keep in mind, three times brilliantly judah points to his father's connection to benjamin this is going to be important he's really driving the point home my father will not survive losing another son but what's he also remembering i told my daddy that i would bring him back I told my daddy I take responsibility for Benjamin. Now he's not telling Joseph that, but we all know that's what's driving this too. And this is where you start to see the repentance. I I remember, and you're gonna see this in a minute, I remember it was it was it was as profound a statement as I had ever heard from my wife, and I've heard many, and she includes this in the book that she wrote about us and, and the earthly death of our son and, and who God is in these things. And a lot of you know this. Some of you may be hearing this for the first time, but it ties to this so clearly. And Sherry is is having one of those days where she's grieving the earthly death of our youngest son, very similar, the youngest of all of them. And she said that she cried out to God, Why the children? Why would you allow something like this? And she said, I even went as far as to say, I know you lost a son, but you got him back in three days. Three days. And she said, I came under conviction so quickly because God spoke to me and my spirit. What about the rest of them? They're all my children. You're going to get your son back when you guys come to me. But all my children that reject redemption, I will never see them again. They have separated themselves from me forever So my children die every day. And if this can help some of them come to me so I won't be separated from them for eternity, then it's worth it, and you got to trust me. And this is the profound statement which ties to Judah. She said, for the first time in my entire existence on earth, I had compassion for God. For the first time, it wasn't all about me. I actually had compassion for how we reject him and what that must be like because we're his children. And this is what we're seeing here. You know what we're seeing? Judah is finally seeing it from his father's standpoint. Do you understand that? That's what's driving him now. He actually has compassion for his father when he didn't before. No matter how he was treated, and see, that's the key. It's not because his dad had been so great to him, and our father's been perfect to us. But what he is seeing, the line of Judah, is he sees because of who God is, that he has the ability to have compassion for his father. He's done worrying about how he's jealous of not being the favorite, and all that's over, and he's just compassionate for his daddy. I told him I would bring Benjamin back. We can't do this to my dad. Now, see, he didn't think about that when they threw the son that he loved, into a pit and sold him off into slavery. But he's thinking about it now. Repentance. And Joseph is about to see it. Verses 30 through 31. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. I told my father that I would not come back without him. And if I don't, it's going to kill him. I can't do this to my father. You know what he could have said? Again. Not this time. Not again. See, we may mess up. We all do. Have I I done things to blaspheme my father? Yes. Have I done things not caring about my father? Yes. But then when I got to know him and I got to understand how gracious he'd been to me and I, I, I understood how much he loved his children, then suddenly my sin began to feel different because I realized I wasn't just sinning against people. I wasn't even just sinning against myself myself. But I began to care that I was sinning against him. And all he'd ever been is good to me. And I took sin a lot more serious. It, it's not that we, that, that we commit sin. The, the bigger question is, do you keep committing the sin? Do we ever learn? Do we ever take it serious and say, I realize and own it, repentance, own it. I know I did this to you but I won't do it again. See, that's the things we have to think about when it comes to our sin. Because sin always matters. And it's never personal. It affects everybody. What a beautiful moment that we see from, from Judah. This will kill our father, and he's begging this man, Don't do that to him. We will have killed our father if I don't get Benjamin back to him, and I will bear the blame of that. Don't do this. But then he goes a step further. Look at this foreshadowing. Now therefore, 33, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I feared to see the evil that would find my father. Oh, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. It's one thing to say, give him back to us. It's one thing to say, man, can you let this slide? You know, what's completely different. I'll bear the punishment that the boy deserves. Put it on me. Now that's repentance. Whatever's supposed to happen to the boy, just do that to me. But let the boy go back. Don't do this to my dad. And if I have to give my life for my dad to see his son again, I took responsibility for him, so I'll bear the punishment. If you got to punish somebody, if that's going to be how you're going to save face and all this, then let that be me. Judah never even makes an attempt to free himself. Because you know what Judah knows? Deep down, he deserves it for what he did to Joseph. He deserves it. Do you have that attitude? Do I have that attitude? you ever catch yourself thinking somehow, that you don't deserve to go to hell. Somehow these things that have happened, and I've, I've, I've said it before and I'll, I'll say it again, God's wrath makes perfect sense to me. I've, I've never understood people that don't understand God's wrath. God's wrath makes all the sense in the world to me. He's holy. We rejected him. We blaspheme him. What that doesn't, I could. That sounds like something I would do. I mean, if you're going to treat me this way, and I have the authority to wipe you out, I'm going to. Now, what I'm continued to be perplexed by is not God's wrath. Is His grace and mercy. I don't understand that at all. That we don't get what we deserve. Think about it. Does that does that seem a little off kilter to you? That doesn't even feel like the way the world should work, because it doesn't. That's what makes it supernatural. That's what makes it so unique. If, if, if the truth of, 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 of life was God wanted y'all to spend eternity with him, and you thumbed your nose at him, he said, trust me to decide what is right and wrong. And we all said, no, we want to decide what's right and wrong and um, appreciate you creating us, appreciate all you've provided for us, but we really would prefer that you leave us alone, and we want to do whatever we want to do. And he's saying, "But what I want you to do is actually what's best for you." And we look at him and say, "We don't think so. We we reject you as our boss." But 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 I'm I'm all knowing. Everything I tell you to do is right. We don't like what you say. We reject you. We don't want you to be our authority. Well, then it would make perfect sense, since you see here with Judah, he says to Joseph what? You have all the power. You can do to us whatever you want. Y'all do realize God has that power as well. He, he can do anything he wants to. So doesn't it make sense that if we thumbed our nose at him and says we won't do what you say, we reject you, we don't want you, that he should just kill all of us? He should just wipe us off the face of the planet. And by the way, he did everybody, but ate once. So it's not like he—it's not like it's not in him. Okay, he took it down to eight once. But even then, he gave him 120 years to get on the boat. 120 years. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't just go off the cuff on that one. He didn't shoot from the hip. 120 years. They saw Noah. Hey, something bad's coming. God's wrath's coming. I'm building this so we'll be protected from it. And they, they thumb their nose at that. And right now, if you, if you and I still go to hell, we'll crawl across the cross that he provided and the redemption that he provided to throw ourselves into hell. So I understand God's wrath. The things that have happened to me, I can't believe worse things haven't happened. Because of the way I've truly lived my life against a holy God. No, what's really perplexing is for Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, the Lion of Judah, to step up to His Father and say, "I know they deserve it, and if you're going, you are holy, so you must punish. I got it. Your wrath has got to come down on this sin." Put it on me. Put it on me. Because I know somebody's got to be punished. Because that's justice. Put it on me. And that's exactly what he did. And how can we have such an apathetic response to that? Where's our thank you? Where's our thank you? That because of Jesus, the lion of Judah, we don't get what we deserve. He took it on himself. Don't ever think that God's wrath just didn't come. It came. And it was ugly. That's the whole capillaries bursting in the in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's not, he's not I mean, the cross is awful, but that's not what that's about. When he said, let this cup pass, that's that 100% God and 100% man saying, the cup I'm talking about is the cup of your wrath, Father, and if that wrath could pass me by and somehow there's another way to redeem them, I'd like to entertain that. But when he heard nothing else from his Father, he was resolute to the cross and he did take God's wrath. The punishment was handed out. So when God's... Refinement comes on this earth, and the church age is over, or you die your earthly death. The wrath that was due you, if you have been justified by Jesus, it has already been paid by Jesus. But if you're not justified, and you have said no thank you again, but this time to the gift then when God finally says, I'm done with sin and I'm done with evil, then you will die with it. But it's not because he didn't provide you a way out. And that's what Judah is saying. Don't do this to my father. If somebody has to pay, then let me pay the price. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message, thank you for what you've done. We, we don't even know how to wrap our minds around it. We, don't even, there, we, 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 have, we have no words in our language to properly say thank you. So may our lives be a thank you. May you, may you see your transformation evident in the lives of all of us. And maybe if if you're watching this or you're listening to this and you're like, you know what, because of this historical event and this foreshadowing in the book of Genesis, I think I just understood the gospel. Maybe for the first time ever. Well, if that is the case, then you know that Jesus has paid the price and you know what you say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I know that I deserve God's wrath. I know there's nothing I can do to redeem myself. I know that I can only be saved by God's grace through my faith in you. And today I place my faith not in myself anymore. I place my faith in you. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin. And and I cling to you and thank you for paying the price that I deserve. I leave authority of myself, and I confess that my authority is now under you. You are my authority. I belong to you. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for standing before your Holy Father and saying, He or she is with me. I'll take the punishment. The Bible tells us if it is sincerely in your heart you believe that today, you've confessed Him as your Lord, and you believe that He paid the price for the sin and that His Father rose Him from the dead, defeating sin and death. I don't know the sincerity of your heart, but God does. And if you are sincere, then he will redeem you. If you need some help with this or, hey, what to do next, just reach out to me, rick at burgessministries.com. Lord, I pray for those that may be praying this type of prayer and the rest of us who know we're justified, but we're kind of assessing just how thankful we've really been. And maybe we need some work on our obedience. Maybe we need some work on our sanctification. Maybe we need to take the sin in our life a little more serious. I pray those decisions not will just be thought, but will actually be implemented by the power of the Holy Spirit. And these things we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us.